You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. In, uh, in this sermon series, looking at the different prophecies about the Messiah who would be born, uh, who is Christ the Lord. And really along the way, one of the things that's been a constant surprise for some of us, not for all of us, but for some of us, particularly people like me, I grew up in a good conservative evangelical faith. Um, and the coming of the Messiah was always about a personal salvation. And I'm, I'm a big fan of personal salvation. It's great. Um, I love Jesus and think he's the best. But in some ways, I think we missed out on some of the bigger picture of why Jesus came. And so when we used to read this passage today and some of the other passages um, about the prophecies of, of Jesus coming, they talked about peace. And peace was always um, a personal feeling, kind of an emotional state to feel good with God. Um, in some ways, it was just sort of a, an idea Sometimes it was thought of as sort of a lack of conflict, but, but growing up in, in my spiritual tradition, it, it didn't have teeth. But as we look at what peace is today, I think we realize, wow, it's a lot different than what I, what I thought. Peace is not, is not that. Um, the word that we'll be reading in the prophet Isaiah today is the word shalom, which has this really full-figured uh, definition. And to get at it, just to start us thinking, uh, two greats um, in the justice movement in this world uh, write about it. So Nelson Mandela um, out of South Africa writes, peace is not just the absence of conflict, peace is the creation of an environment where all can flourish, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, gender, class, caste, or any other social markers of difference. And Martin Luther King Jr. put it even more shortly. He said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. I did not hear that growing up in my faith, but it is what the prophets speak about. And we're gonna unpack that today. So uh, Sam Yu, our other intern, uh, no, not Sam Yu, sorry, you're, you're doing the prayer at the end. Ruben Bengar, Ruben, can you unmute yourself? Um, there he is. Are you wear, still wearing your Santa hat? Yes, you I got am. The Santa hat. Oh, that's good, that's important. So Ruben's gonna read scripture for us today. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, comes out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. Oh, oh, it's already on there. Oh, sweet. Isaiah 11, 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. 
With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed them, will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks Ruben. Thanks, Ruben. That was a long one. That was a pretty long passage. Um, you know, what I have enjoyed most about taking these kind of traditional prophecies that a lot of times we read in this Christmas season, what I've enjoyed so much about spending this time in them is how I feel like it has helped me slow down with them. Like not to just kind of hear them as like, fa la 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 You know, just this sort of like, hey, it's just the music of the season. Like I've heard them so many times and I don't even know what they mean necessarily, but to really just get to slow down and say, what's here? Like, what, what are these words that we connect to Jesus? What are they actually saying? So as this particular prophecy kicks off, it's not a particularly happy picture. It starts out with a, a stump. And Kevin is going to drop verse one again in the chat. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. It starts with just a stump. And I mean, think about it with me for just a second, like what we're supposed to, to sort of feel in relation to like, this isn't, we're not talking about like the towering oak tree of Jesse the flourishing family, you know, with its, its branches. I mean, there are later pictures in the Bible, like these grand trees and the, the birds will come and nest in their branches. And no, we're starting from a stump. It's this image of a dead thing, of a once great family. And this is connected to the Davidic line, the sort of the great kings of Israel and saying, you know, the, the family has been cut down. It's been ruined. We're starting with this picture of a dead thing. And it's, it's meant to evoke in us just all the discouragement of a, a difficult time. The people of Israel, they've been, they've been forced into exile in Babylon. It's a picture of oppression, of destruction and hopelessness. You know, last week when Abby and Bill were preaching, they, they offered us this really wonderful quote from Christina Cleveland that started like this. We do the light a disservice when we underestimate the darkness. We do this passage a disservice when we don't take a little bit of time to sit with the stump, to notice the destruction. And, you know, this week I have a, I've had a few different conversations with people who have wondered out loud with me a bit um, in writing, in actual conversation, 
I've been hearing these stories of people who are wondering, are we distracting ourselves a little bit too much in this season? Because I think we all realize, right? Like it's hard right now and all around us there, we see the signs of destruction. Um, it's just, we're, we're in the midst of a pandemic and it has, it has surfaced so much about who we are and we're seeing so much pain and injustice. And, and so I've been hearing from people ways that they're realizing, wow, I'm trying to distract myself maybe a little bit too much. Maybe I'm watching more TV than I sense is really good for me. Maybe I've noticed that my drinking has started to increase. It used to be just one glass of wine a night. Now it's a couple nights a week and it's maybe two or three. And, and there are these signs that maybe we don't wanna sit with the stump. And I just, as, as I heard it this week, I was thinking, maybe we as a community need, need to take a second to pay attention to that. You know, about a year or so, I went through a season where I was having some of those questions for myself, particularly around alcohol, where I was kind of going, I am not sure that the, the way alcohol is a part of my life right now is serving me, is, is really good for me. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, you know, I don't, maybe I don't even need to feel like a, an alcoholic to say, hey, maybe this isn't serving me. And there was a, a post written by Brene Brown that I found just incredibly helpful in that season and, and really just like, honestly created sort of an aha moment for me and a sort of like crossing over the line uh, in, in how I was thinking about these things. But here's just a piece of it that felt so relevant for, for these conversations that have been surfacing this week. She was talking about talking with her therapist because she had she'd taken away alcohol from her life. She'd taken away sugar. She'd taken away all these different ways that she'd had for numbing pain in her life. And she was, she was dying. So she's in this conversation with her therapist and she's like, you need to give me something for my anxiety. I'm a turtle without a shell in a briar patch. Everything in the briar patch is poking me and jabbing me. It hurts. And her therapist said, maybe we should talk about getting out of the briar patch. Maybe it's not about the numbing. Maybe it's actually about paying attention and deciding to go to the roots of the problem. And I wonder that for us today, if we actually need to be willing to acknowledge the stump in the room, acknowledge, yeah, it is hurting. It is hard. It's destructive. We're sensing pain and it is real, but noticing it is what's gonna help us make some decisions for the better. It's gonna give us that urgency to say, yeah, there has to be a different way. Because healing is also what even just this first verse is about. Because out of the stump comes new life. And you know, it's actually a little deceptive in our English translations a lot of the times that a branch comes out of the stump. You know, from the stump, just woo, we're back to the oak tree, right? No, that's not actually what it's saying. Out of the stump comes a twig, a little promise of new life to come, a little green possibility that's gonna grow 
It's going to expand. But just like Jesus doesn't come as this mighty king, the branch starts small too. Jesus doesn't come as a conquering warrior. No, God uses a simple teacher, an itinerant rabbi, poor and oppressed. God uses the small. He uses the simple. And it's still how God works today. The passage goes on into verse two and over and over and over we hear again that the reason change comes, new life comes from this branch is because the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit, the spirit, the spirit. And that spirit is still at work today. We talk all the time about the fruit of the spirit, this idea that God is at work in our lives, bringing newness, bringing freshness, bringing change. It's not something that we just will into being, we just work really hard. No, God does it. God is in the business of bringing new life. And so just like we have to notice the stump, we're also just we always have to be on the hunt for where are those signs that fresh life is breaking through. And for me this week, where I have to admit, I've probably been reading the news too much. It's been a little depressing at times. I probably need to monitor my social media usage a little bit more, how often I'm checking the news sites. But man, I've had to really cling to the little signs of hope. And you guys are part of that, right? That in this season where people are going hungry, there are also people giving food. In this season where people are struggling, there are people giving gifts. In this season where so many are sick, uh, there are healthcare workers who are taking pictures as they get their vaccines to say like, come on guys, we can do this. Hope is around the corner. We have to watch for those signs of new life and the spirit breaking through. So good, right? Looking for the, for the little looking for the, the signs, keeping our eyes out. Um, and we, when we look at this passage, we see that's, that's actually the very thing that this Messiah, that it's not just what, what he is, because Jesus himself was so small, born in a stable, right, in the backwoods of Galilee, but it's also what he does. It's how he operates in the world. It's who he looks for. He looks for those who have been overlooked. He prioritizes, he prioritizes those on the margins. He always has. There's this preferential treatment for the poor in the scriptures. This has been a theme throughout the ages that many people have pushed against and say, no, that's not fair. Jesus, you know, of course, he's got to love everyone equally. But he doesn't. And we're, we're going to unpack, you know, let, let's look at that a little bit. Um, so the, the passage, there's this big buildup in this prophecy. Um, four times it talks about the spirit and what the spirit is, is doing in this Messiah, kind of baking into the Messiah, this true essence. And it's all about wisdom and discernment. So this is what it says in verse two of the prophecy we just, uh, that Reuben read. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So it's wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge. It's all of this like 
really good uh, smarts. And sometimes I, I think of that, I mean, I like to think of that as God, you know, the Messiah, Jesus was going to be so smart. He was going to be so smart so he could, he could help me make the best decisions in my life. He could help me decide, uh, you know, how to manage my time, how to have a better relationship with my, you know, three healthy steps to a good marriage, uh, you know, what, what classes to take in college. And all of those are good things. And I think all those things we get to talk with God about. And God is invested in our lives. But that's not what the prophecy says. That's not this, this whole big buildup is not about helping you live your best life now. That's not it. This whole big buildup about the spirit baking into the Messiah, all the wisdom and knowledge and discernment of God, it, it leads to this in verse 4. So that with righteousness, he will judge the needy. And with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. That's the lead up. That's the climax. Like, this is what the Messiah is going to be all about. This is why he needs so much wisdom and knowledge and depth and character and goodness and power. So that... He can pay special attention to those of us who are on the margins. Those of us who've been pushed to the outside by the rest of society. Uh, author that uh, Donna Berkman and I did some reading this fall on theology. She's training to be a pastor. And we read this quote. This is my favorite quote out of the theology book that we read. Uh, we read a couple of theology books this fall. And the other one was our favorite. It was about uh, Mujerista theology. But this one had one really good quote. And here it is. The theme of God's solidarity with the poor is an expression of inclusivity, not exclusivity. Since it is the poor who are being unjustly excluded, it must be the poor who are included first of all in the divine economy of salvation. The idea is that when you say like God pays special attention to the poor, it's because the poor have been left out and God is always looking for those who've been left out. Brenda Rubio used this uh, illustration uh, earlier, oh gosh, was it like a year ago or something, Brenna? Eh, something like that. Yeah. Um, so here are, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow out the candle before I set it on fire. Uh, no doubt something's going to fall over here. Um, so here are the stacking blocks that our kids played with, and many of your children who've been to our house have played with them as well. Uh, in fact, one of your children was playing with them last week. Um, and, and this is just sort of a picture how many times our culture and our world stratifies who's in and who's out. Who has privilege, who does not. What, if a system is built, who gets the, the goodies from that system, right? Who, who is it built for? And Typically, those at the, the higher blocks are having greater privilege. It might be easier for them to get a house loan, for example, 
Uh, if you under if if you're familiar with the the legacy of redlining in the United States, when you in fact in in Long Beach you can look it up that in Long Beach um, the quote unquote desirable areas to live would not let people of color get home loans in those neighborhoods. They were they were pushed down, right? And and the people who were white were pushed up. The system benefited, um, and and you can kind of self sort where you are in the in the tower of societal privilege and resources. Um, so, for example, Brenna, when she talked about it this summer, she she talked about, or I guess it was two summers ago, about in some ways being a white person allowed her and, and many of us to, to be kind of higher up on the, on, the, on the tower. But being a woman, as opposed to being a man, would, would maybe put her further down. And so I don't know where you are on the tower. I'm still sorting out myself. Uh, I typically, as a white, cisgender, straight man uh, with a lot of education, right, that in, in our world, that typically pushes me up. Like if you look at the, the presidents, uh, the United States has had just all but one, all but one look kind of like me, right? I mean, the, the system sort of built that way in some ways, right? Um, and when Jesus comes, he says, look, I, I see the system. And, you know, so many times we're like, oh, am I, am I higher than you or am I lower than you? Or some of us, for example, we might experience a lot of privilege in some ways, but um, like, so I, I, I have two gay children. And in, in the evangelical world of, of Christian pastors, that's sort of a no-no, right? I mean, you're, I mean, it just is like, that's not looked upon generally as a positive thing. And so in some ways, like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit down, further down. Whereas so many other things kind of push me further up. When Jesus comes, I, I don't think Jesus is primarily saying, hey, I see you, Bill, right here, and I want to just lift you up higher and higher. That's actually not what he's about. That's not why all this wisdom and insight and power has been given to him. Instead, it's that he would render judgments for the needy that he would see the poor and know what it looks like to lift the poor. Those with lower status, those with less resources. And in some ways, if you think about it, as Jesus lifts from the bottom, we're all lifted, right? And Jesus says, I will give priority there. That's what I'm about. And Jesus knows that. I mean, this is the Messiah, right? This, this Messiah, Jesus, who, who is going to come and fulfill these prophecies. I, I, I've really thought a lot about it this week, this idea of how much wisdom he had to have, because it's so hard to challenge those of us with privilege and to challenge those of us who feel on the margins, to love and 
and to render decisions that actually make sense, that do justice, that aren't just stroking the pride of someone with privilege because, oh, I'm going to give something away. So boy, I'm a better person. Or, or somehow stoking the the insecurity of someone who receives and says, oh, okay, maybe I'm not, I can't do this myself. But, but the wisdom of Jesus is to always bring dignity. It's always to bring challenge. It's always to bring love. So that we might all find our truest identity in him. I'll turn it back to you now, Brenna. You can clarify any of that if I uh, if I made a mess of it. No, I don't think you made a mess of it. Thanks, Bill. It's a great it's a great picture of how justice begins to do its work. I don't know if you guys can see, but there's like this internal kind of logic, this building in the passage that you can start to follow. So we start with a stump, with destruction, and from that stump grows out. A branch. In some translation, it's um, it's a shoot, which gives you that more that sense of the freshness and the newness, the tenderness of it. This shoot that would become a branch, it's a branch of justice. That's that's who Jesus is at his core. In so many ways, he is he is justice. He is the one who will rule with justice, and that's what we celebrate each Christmas. But now we get to the part of the passage that so often we want to jump to. We want to come right to here at Christmas time to say, what fruit grows on the branch of justice? And the fruit of that branch is peace. So in verse six, we see this incredible picture of the world set right. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. And there are several other verses, it goes on. And these often, I'm, these are the, the pictures that we grab because we want a world like this, right? It's these, these powerful pictures of prey and predator together. And the threat has sort of been taken away. These natural enemies who are now brought together and it's this tangible picture of peace even that detail of a little child will lead them, which again evokes for us now, Jesus, this picture of the small, the tender one. Um, and his way will be so different. This peace that he establishes, the world set right, this picture of, of shalom, it's so different. So how do we get there? This peace is the fruit of justice. We can't just jump to this picture. We have to have the whole lead up, stump, to branch of justice, now. Now we get to the picture of peace. For Bill and I, as we were talking this week and, and our friend, Justin Campbell, who's on the call right now, I think um, he, he had some uh, email conversations with Bill about this as well. We were thinking particu particularly around that idea of no justice, no peace, which so often is a slogan during protest rallies. We saw it so much this summer as many of the Black, Black Lives Matters protested, <laughs> I can't seem to speak right now, the protests um, erupted all over the country, right? This, this slogan, no justice, no peace. And how do, we, how do we understand it? 
And as Justin pointed out so often, those of us who are higher up on the tower of blocks, those of us with more privilege have this tendency to, to hear it as threat, as sort of like, if you don't do what we want, your windows are gonna get bashed in. Things are gonna be set on fire. Like this, this is what we will do to you if you don't give us what we want to create peace. That that may be how we tend to hear it. And yet the reality is it's actually just this picture. It's this picture of certain kinds of trees, certain kinds of branches bear certain kinds of fruit. A tree with its roots in justice will bear peace. And a tree with its roots in injustice will bear violence, will bear poverty, will bear disorder. You know, there's this, uh, this famous quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A riot is the language of the unheard. And as we think about that in, in terms of the sort of like things that just naturally happen, what, what we're really hearing is that the peace that some of us experienced before the riot was really a false peace. It was, it was a peace that ignored and pushed off all sorts of things. It was a lie that only those of us at the top of the stack of blocks could possibly believe. Only those of us who were far away enough not to hear the cries of those at the bottom or able to put our fingers in our ears, able to just wall ourselves off. There was never peace before the riot. And so if all we do is we focus on the riot, it, it's like treating the symptoms of a sore throat instead of giving antibiotics for the strep infection. It's ignoring the roots of the problem. What has actually caused this tree to grow? What has led to this fruit? A tree with roots and injustice will lead to a lack of peace. A tree rooted in justice will lead to peace. Our friend Brian Stevenson, uh, who many of you have watched the movie or read the book, Just Mercy, he leads the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, he says it this way, the opposite of poverty isn't wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Poverty at its roots is about injustice. It's about all the ways that we keep people away, that we, we deny people just the basics of a good life, of, of access to education and clean water and food. It's ways that our communities just, they're broken at the roots. So when we think about all of this, that peace, comes out of justice, peace, community wholeness, starts with equity. We start to realize that a prayer for peace is actually a pretty complicated thing. It's a gritty thing. We can't just make it about the surface. We have to go a lot deeper. 
a writer I've really been enjoying over the last few weeks, Dante Stewart, put it this way. He asked the question, at what point do prayers for peace become prayers of protest? And do we separate those things too much? I think we do. That we can't pray for peace without praying for a real restoration at the roots of shalom, a real addressing of the systemic issues. And so when we celebrate Jesus at Christmas as the bringer of peace, we also have to celebrate him as the bringer of justice. So good. So good. That's why I love preaching with Brenner Rubio. Man. Um, so to kind of close it out, this picture of, of Jesus, of, of the Messiah, right, who's, who's coming um, to, to bring shalom in the full sense, this peace that is um, brings social healing, that upends systems of injustice, that brings health as well as uh, economic provision, and that brings personal relational reconciliation that brings equity between races and people of different uh, sexual and gender identities. This vision, it, it's captured in, in the passage, and I think we've got the verses here about this, the wolf lying down with the lamb, the leopard lying down with the goat, the calf and the lion. And it's this, this picture that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is actually going to take the system and start dismantling it block by block, right? And it's kind of unnerving to see the system un dismantled. Uh, in fact, uh, as, a, uh, as one famous gay woman wrote, she said, uh, for those accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Right, I mean, for, for those of us who are used to having lots and lots of power and authority to actually have equality feels really unnerving. And yet, if it's an equality based in Christ, where, where we're, all, we're all one, we're, we're all, this is, this is the human box, the final, the box at the, at the base of the tower is the human box and Jesus was called the, the son of man. Many people will now translate it the human one, the most human one, son of God, the human one. And now we are in Christ. And it doesn't mean that we've, we've lost our distinctives, right? I mean, we're still like, you, you know, there's still the elephant and the, and the circus bear and the, you know, son, right? I mean, all, all the blocks remain individual, we haven't lost our personality or our culture. Even the visions of, of heaven in the book of Revelation says that there, there's every tribe and nation and people and tongue. Like we haven't lost our cultures even or our languages, but we've found equity in Christ. And, and the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth. That 
that justice will now be done. And it's not that everyone will be totally the same, but will be totally loved. And all the systems, all the hierarchies will be torn down and we will be that beloved community that Jesus came to bring. That's the vision for peace at Christmas time.